So hi everyone, this is Jacob again, uh, the host of Towards Within Emerging Markets. I'm humbled and honored to have uh, Adebayo Alonge, um, the co-founder and CEO of RX All Incorporated. And uh, it's such an honor to have, have you here. And um, for us to get into this episode, um, I'm just truly humbled to, to have him here on the podcast. So uh, we'll just get right into it. And I'll please let uh, Adebayo uh, introduce himself and tell us a little bit about uh, RX, uh, RX All. So welcome Thank to the pod. Thank you so much, Jacob. And I'm honored to be here. Thank My you. full name's uh, Adebayo Alonge. I am Nigerian by nationality, although I like to refer to myself as a Wardian, so a citizen of the world. Nice. You know, just given the various places I have lived in, traveled in, and worked in. Amazing. So that's how I see myself. Amazing. In Amazing. terms of my profession, I a qualified pharmacist, but also have degrees in finance and public policy. And uh, my core interest is really around helping to solve problems of poverty using market and social impact ideologies. And uh, RxR really is a definition of how I see solutions um, to be crafted around the kinds of problems that poverty causes. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and thanks. Thanks for the introduction. Um, you know, I'm close to Nigeria. I'm from Cameroon, so I, I, I went to high school with most, most Nigerians. And so, yeah, we're really excited to get into the conversation of just learning about RxR and also the process of, of you um, co-founding this great company. So the next question is, uh, how was the process like uh, co-founding RxR? Um, in, uh, you know, we know emerging markets are really difficult, more so, you know, you're in the healthcare space. How was the process like for you uh, starting this company? Uh, RxSol's founding, I would say, goes back more than 15 years ago. So it really goes back to my own personal experience with a fake medicine mm -hmm. where I was in a 21-day coma that I survived. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. that really helped me define my life's purpose. Mm -hmm. And I went on to pharmacy school at the age of 15, really with the clear intention to fix the problem and make sure that no one in my family, no one in my community, no one in the rest of the world ever has to suffer as a result of uh, bad medicine. Right? So it's been the rumination of all the ideas, um, my own experience over the last 15 years that eventually led to a coalition of, or coalition, I would say, of um, um, serendipitous um, factors that eventually led to the founding of RxR. So uh, it's a number of um, core details I won't go into just for time purposes, but at the end of the day, um, my experience led me to Yale in 2015. And at, in one of the classes, uh, the Founders Practicum, I pitched my idea about creating a platform where people could access high quality medicines that have been authenticated. And I got into that practicum class. 
I believe I was the only black person in the class. I was the only African in the class. There was, uh, I would say about 15 entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs who were in that class at the time. Some with even very advanced projects um, that were already fully funded. At the time, like just hearing people with ideas having $3 million funded upfront without even a pitch deck, you know, that's the kind of class that I was in, you know. So um, the class paired me with the alumni mm-hmm. of the School of Management at Yale. And he, Robert Bettigold, that's his name. And he worked with me to define or build out the pitch deck. And then um, the spring of the next year, I pitched it at the Yale Health Hackathon. Mm-hmm. That Yale Health Hackathon, my two co-founders were present. One of them was in the School of Management, but in a different cohort. She had had the same experience in Southeast Asia. And that in the U.S., she's American, that led her to work in public health and in the pharma space in the U.S. and in Southeast Asia. And my other co-founder had lost somebody close to him in China to falsified milk powder a different industry from pharmaceuticals, but same problem. And both of them felt personally aligned with my pitch on that day. They walked up to me at the end and said, hey, we like what you're doing. We'd like to join you. So that's how Rx all started out. And that's, that's, a, that's an incredible story. And, um, you, know, you know, most of the, the conversations I have on this part, um, you know, sometimes it seems like the co-founder um, meetup uh, or, you know, the connection is serendipitous. Uh, but at the same time, it felt like this is more of like a destiny, you know, um, and, um, and it's just incredible that you have a shared story or just the background looks very similar. So uh, thanks so much for sharing that. I, I do know you have, you know, you were prepared for the pitch and, you know, you kind of, you know, made a story that, you know, said, you know, shared your story in a way that people really got connected to it and you met your co-founders. So that's incredible. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. I think some of the audience, you know, that was, um, you know, learning about the founder story is very critical and also for you sharing that is very impactful. So thank you so much for that. Um, so just now just going into Rx or how was, you know, based on when you guys started to now where you guys are, how has the company impacted the ecosystem of Africa uh, or in general? Because I know you, uh, when I read your story, you know, you guys have a, um, a base in China as well. How, how has the impact been so far for you, uh, for the company and what you guys are doing? I think the biggest impact Rx has had in the African tech ecosystem would be in the healthcare vertical. And I would say that impact would be two things. One, drawing global attention to the problem of um, poor quality medicines in Africa. And two, generating the inspiration for young Africans in deep tech, especially in healthcare, believe that their dreams are viable. I think that will be the two most impactful ways that Arixol has 
Amazing, amazing, amazing. What about uh, working the ecosystem? Definitely, definitely. That's that's amazing. Um, and just from there, um, through this process of co-founding the company, what has been, uh, and this this is something that especially Africans in diaspora uh, in the US and Europe and some that have been to Asia, um, are trying to navigate how the ecosystem in Africa works. What has been one of the biggest lessons founding this company, actually, you know, building the processes in place. Um, um, you know, as, uh, just share with us, if you can, just some lessons you have learned so far. Yeah, I would say the top lesson is really understanding the local customer. Yes. You know, those of us who school, you know, the Ivy League schools of the, of the world, we have all these theories that have been baked. <laughs> yeah, they have been baked, uh, mostly uh, built for the Western markets, yes. you know, they're they are not, they're not scientific principles. They are social principles. Yes. So all that means, it doesn't mean that you can cut and paste and expect the same outcome in different social contexts. Yes. The different case, if it's a scientific principle or a physical principle, I'll say law of physics, gravity is the same everywhere. Well, it doesn't matter whether you're African or American, right? Yes. Throw something up, you'll come down. But when it comes to um, social science, especially in the world of entrepreneurship and business, throwing something up, not literally in this sense, throwing something up in the U.S., how it will come down is dependent on the social context in the U.S. And how it will come down is dependent on the social context in, in Africa. So at the heart of it is really learning that humility when we go back the continent and listening to the people we say we want to help. They might not have been to the U.S., they might not have been to anywhere else aside from their small village, but they are the ones who have been living that problem all of their lives. And they have been attempting and doing every different way they know to solve that problem. It's not the story about Africans being passive and just like living with the problem is false, right? There's no problem on the continent today that doesn't have a local solution. We're only coming in there trying to learn what is, what is working for that problem and using tech to scale the solution we learn from the locals, right? So I think at the heart of it is really learning that humility, learning to listen to the local people, learning to co-create with them, not going and giving them the prescriptions. Because we, honestly, we don't know more than the people who have lived all their lives mm -hmm. trying to solve those same problems. So I would say that would be um, the biggest lesson for me, mm -hmm. uh, founding Arexol and growing the business in Africa. Yeah, just so just to reiterate, you know, co-creation is important. Uh, we have to focus on localization. This, that was the solutions on the local level and you know you have to really be humble for all the folks, my Africans and diaspora out there. Hum humility is important, you know, especially being based here in Boston. You have this Harvard and MIT folks, you know, in the years down the down the state, you know, Connecticut, you know. So, uh, but you know, as uh, Adebayo here has said, you know, this is really important for you to be humble and actually co-create with the locals. So, thanks so much for sharing that. That you reaffirms, you know, some of this. Um, the ways that we always think of, like how do we work with locals, spending some time in the, in in uh, 
in, in the Western world. So I appreciate you for sharing that as well. Um, so now just going to the industry sector now, how is the, the current state of healthcare? I know this, we have some fragmented informations out here. You know, the IMF comes out with some information, World Bank, uh, WHO, the Gates Foundation, uh, from someone on the ground doing some really, uh, I would say really, really important work and, you know, building something that can last for, for a really long time and actually solving a really big need. What is the current state of healthcare in, uh, from your perspective as a founder of a very successful company? I would say healthcare in Africa is a space for opportunity. It's undertapped. You compare healthcare and continent with fintech, for example, you can see the big difference in funding numbers and even in types of like products that are or startups that are coming to market. You know, and I would say perhaps even healthcare, the opportunity in healthcare is potentially even bigger and even more impactful. The continent's healthcare system in many parts is in shambles. And this is just me speaking forthrightly. There is not enough budget, public budget, going into the public health system. So, what has happened is that we have a three tiered healthcare system on the continent. On the first or the top end, you have very exclusive, super expensive private healthcare. The continent's richest 1%. Many of these private expensive institutions are also connected with international healthcare groups, wherein if they are not able to provide the care locally, they can fly out their patrons, private jets, and charter west, Middle East to South Asia. Then you have the middle. The middle is mostly the it's mostly private sector driven as well. It's mostly affordable to those on health insurance. Those who are able to get health insurance are usually middle class folks, degrees, white collar jobs, working with uh, the bigger companies. Healthcare is good. It's not essentially fantastic, but it's good. In the sense that your basic needs, chronic care, that when it comes to ambulatory care or emergency care, in Africa, we don't have the next flight out. It's very likely that person will die. Mm -hmm. And then you have the last phase where there's the people who are living hand to mouth on the streets, walking, doing the petty trades. They don't have any access to uh, insurance. They cannot afford it. They're not aware about it. So what happens is they don't do any kind of um, preventive care. Okay. Yeah. They are mostly self-medicating as part of their symptoms. Mm -hmm. And when it gets too bad, you find them in the churches and the mosques and the um, local herbalist uh, looking for help. And then when those have mostly taken their money and they're at the point of death, 
they then ship them to the public hospitals that are overwhelmed, mm -hmm. right? So this is the three tier healthcare. What are the heart of it? There are two issues. One is there's not enough money coming in to organize the system. And healthcare, because of the nature of the demand, right, is inelastic. So if people have the demand now, they want to be able to pay for it, or they are willing to do anything to pay for it right now. But the issue about it is that it's not like a consumptive product, like say finance, where if you're going to a restaurant, you can pay with an app on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. People don't necessarily see, especially if they don't have a discretionary income, they don't see the need they want to spend every day on health. So that's why it's been very difficult for private health insurance to take off continent, right? Governments are not putting enough money in healthcare. The private citizens also don't have enough money to put aside healthcare because they don't see that as a basic necessity. You know? That's the first issue. The second issue has to do with the way we've structured policy around healthcare. So the way we've organized healthcare and made it very top heavy rather than community focused. So it's seen as that thing that is for them. Or you literally see people shaking when they're trying to see a doctor in the towns and cities um, that I've been into. They see the doctor as the God. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the doctor is supposed to be serving them. And that conversation is supposed to be two-way, you know? Um, so those are what I see as the two broad issues. I mean, we can decide to break it down, try to, um, I mean, there's driving factors across those two markets. But I do believe that if we can fix funding into healthcare and make it more democratic and accessible to everyone, we'll solve the problems that healthcare is currently facing today on the continent. As I said, because it's not something that's been addressed, it's a huge opportunity for those who will address it, like we are doing at RxO. So that's the two sides. That's the other side of the coin. Definitely, definitely. And, and you know, um, this is something that, uh, I mean, just to reiterate, I'm here for, for those of you joining the podcast right now. I'm here with Adebayo, co-founder of Rx all incorporated, um, just an amazing entrepreneur. Um, if you just joined, please go back to the very beginning and listen because there's so much um, he has shared um, uh, already. And, but you know, we're at the heart of the, 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 the crooks of the industry where Adebayo just mentioned the importance of, by the way, the challenges that Africa faces, uh, which he eloquently uh, just uh, outlined uh, right here you know one was you know there is this lack of funding um you know and also the people don't have the money you know um, um you know the disposable income based on how much they, they, they make but also the, that lack of urgency is not there and uh we deviate to religion you know or go to our uh you know, pastors or whatever to get solutions and we come coming later so very critical things that really affect the industry. And he has been at the forefront to make that case uh, that we need to think, think differently of, of how we serve the people 
healthcare. So very important point. And I think Adebayo, I'm going to our next question here. Uh, through your company, how one of the big issues in healthcare is counterfeit drugs. How have you, um, what do you see as the current state of counterfeit drugs in, in Africa? And how is your platform and your company trying to address that? Yeah, so the numbers are fully out there in terms of the issue of counterfeit medicine. So it's, I think, numbers anybody who's been following the space has had repeated over and over again. It's 30% plus of medicines distributed on the continent uh, falsified or substandard in a way. Some countries, those numbers go over 60%. It's a market that's worth over $75 billion. Some put it as much as $200 billion in the value. And then in terms of the human impact, it's over 100,000 Africans dying every year, representing 10% of those who die from this problem globally. In terms of the reports that WHO has received, this is a report they produced in 2017 on the reports annually they got every year as to falsified or substandard medicines. Africa represents almost 50% of the annual numbers they get. There's documentaries out that talk about this problem. There's a book that was released two years ago by an American author. She was talking about the lies in the bottle and she interviewed the Indian syndicates that ship in expired products into Africa and saying, oh, it's just black people dying. So this issue is um, being talked about for years. And with the COVID vaccines and the falsification of COVID vaccines in South Africa, Mexico, a number of international countries, I think it's drawn even more interest into this topical issue. It's, it is a big problem, I would say, and the problem stems from the similar same factors we discussed when we talked about healthcare broadly. Yes. Stems from, but even before I go into those, I think the primary problem here is that it stems from Africa not having local productive capacity for yes. its own medicines. Yes. Right? We're importing 70% yes. of our medicines international markets and that is super risky covid vaccines we don't even manufacture there's not a single country right now that manufactures. i know there's been the plan from the covax who to empower south africa senegal and a few countries to be able to produce the reason why you have less than three percent of africans inoculated with the covid vaccine today because we don't have the ability to manufacture it. So we're dependent on handouts from the other countries of the world. And when you extend that to broad pharmaceuticals, it's the same issue. If you don't have the local manufacturing capacity, it makes it very difficult and super expensive for your local regulators to manage your supply chain. It will need to be able to assess where it's been produced internationally. We need to be able to secure the international transshipment that's taking place. 
they will need to be able to assess what is coming in reports, and then they will now be able to, they will now need to be able to surveil the local distribution across the or across their countries. That's four different steps. Three of those additional steps, you don't need to do it if you have local production capacity. And with African governments not having enough budgetary allocation for broad healthcare, they also don't have enough budgetary allocation to support their regulators to do surveillance work properly. Right, so that's the heart of the problem. If you fix that first problem, it makes it easier to solve the regulatory problem. It's not like we don't have good regulators. We have good regulators and they're often working as hard as possible, but they don't have enough resources for the scale of the work mm -hmm. that to do. Mm -hmm. 